0: We're going to read just a small portion to begin with, and then uh, as we go through, we're going to be looking back to the first part of the chapter um, of Joshua 24. It's very interesting to look throughout history. There's always been a fascination with uh, the the dying words of a of a man or a woman as they breathe their last breath. What what a, things that they feel is the most important thing to communicate to their family, to their friends. Um, you hear stories about people on their deathbed telling their family where the, the money that they've been stowing away for years and years is located, you know, much to the surprise of their family or, uh, having someone confess on their deathbed that they were the arsonist who set all of these fires. Um, a lot of times when people are nearing their, their death and they know that they're nearing their death, Um, many times what they review with their family and communicate to their loved ones is the things that are most important to them. And here in uh, Joshua 24, we find the the words of a dying man. Uh, Joshua is nearing the end of his life. Uh, He knows that he is nearing the end of his life. And so here in Joshua 24, he calls all of the elders, the judges, the officers, the chiefs of Israel to him. And uh, he gives them a charge that I'm sure all of us are very familiar with. Probably most of us could quote it off the top of our heads. Uh, but why don't we read Joshua 24, and uh, specifically verses 14 and 15. And then, as I said, we'll go back and look at uh, the previous verses. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. Uh, Joshua tells them, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why don't we pray? Our dear Father, we we come to you and thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather before you, Lord, to study your word, to uh, make application to our lives, Lord, so that we might not only be hearers of your word, but but doers as well. And Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to us through your word today. I pray that we would uh, learn something uh, that would be applicable to our lives and that you would help us by your spirit to apply it. Uh, faithfully and consistently, uh, as we seek to honor and glorify you with our lives. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so here in Joshua chapter 24, we we get to the point uh, of Joshua's uh, end of life. Uh, we have found something very interesting as we go through the book of Joshua, and that is a, a book of conquest. Uh, if you find uh, we went back to Joshua chapter 1, we would see uh, the ending of a different life, and that is the, the death of Moses. In Joshua chapter 1, uh, the Lord came to Joshua and said, Moses is dead. Of course, at this point, they were on the other side of the Jordan. They had not crossed over into the land of Canaan as of yet. And so God's charge to Joshua was, uh, get up, all you and all of the people of Israel, and go over into Jordan, into the land that I have promised to give them. And so the last 24 chapters have been uh, chapters containing the, the battles, the victories that have been fought, and the success that has been gained by uh, Joshua and by the people of Israel, uh, from the spying out of the land in Joshua chapter 2, to uh, crossing Jordan in Joshua 3, uh, and to the eventual conquering of all of the Canaanites and the division of the land found in chapters 22 uh, through 23 is uh, some of the division of the land uh, here he gathers the heads of Israel, their, their leaders, the, the officers, the uh, influential people, and he charges them, uh, in verse 24 as we've read, to fear the Lord and to serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And in just a bit we'll look a, a little bit closer at that command, but before we look at the command that specifically he gives to them, we're going to notice the backdrop or the basis for the command that he gives. Uh, the, these verses we often find as many other verses in scripture as kind of plucked from their context and just used. And not that they should not be used, uh, as a standalone verse. Of course, the two verses that he, he gives them make sense outside of the context, the charge to fear the Lord. But, but you don't fully grasp the, the gravity of what he's telling them and the full picture of what he is giving, uh, unless you have the context. So why don't we go back and we're going to look at, uh, verse, 1, and we're going to read through verse number 13. Uh, what, what Joshua is uh, commanding them and charging them with is not given in a vacuum. There is a specific context and setting uh, to his charge. In Joshua 24, he calls, um, it says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and some of the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said, To all the people. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So notice, it is not Joshua who is prefacing this charge that he gives to them. It is, he is speaking on behalf of the Lord. So he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led them through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I, gave, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it and afterwards I brought you out. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor to to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them, you eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Here, uh, Joshua, in speaking on behalf of the Lord, as we've already seen, uh, God here is recounting his goodness and his faithfulness to the Israelites. But this is not just a blank, I've been so good to you guys, so you should serve me and you should fear me. Here, Joshua Uh, is referring to the covenant faithfulness of God. As it starts out in in, uh, verse number 2, it starts out with Abraham being uh, one who served other gods, living in the the land past the Euphrates. But we know, and we can look back, and as we're going through in in Genesis in in our worship services, uh, we can see the covenant that God made with Abraham uh, to give him a son, Uh, We see the promise fulfilled with the birth of Isaac and all that God did from that point to the point where we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 24. We see the calling of Abraham, the birth of Isaac, the promised seed. Uh, We see uh, Jacob and all of his descendants going down into Egypt and the miraculous, not even talking about Joseph but the the miracles that were performed uh, in the providence of God at work to preserve Israel alive in the midst of famine. We see uh, the the uh, enslavement of the Israelites and God bringing them out through plagues and mighty wonders. Uh, the Exodus is contained in verse number five, and in verse number six, the deliverance at the Red Sea. Uh, it's interesting how he says it. He says uh, in verse, uh, pardon me, verse number six. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. But not only did they come to the sea, the Egyptians pursued them. And uh, certainly we, we can recognize what God was doing to get, to get glory and to glorify his name uh, over the name of the Egyptians in his destruction of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Uh, so we see that in verse 6 and 7. And uh, then in verse number 8, we see their conquest in Canaan. He says, I brought you to the land of the Amorites. They fought with you and I gave them your land. You kind of see a pattern here. The Amorites fought with you and you defeated them. And then you came to Jericho and their leaders fought with you and I defeated them. And he kind of goes on and on. Uh, so here we're, we're looking not just at the goodness of God and not at the, not just at the the grace of God, but we're looking at God's faithfulness to the covenant that he had made with the Israelites. Uh, so he, God has been faithful. To do what he had promised he would do. He uh, we continue on in in uh, verse, uh, pardon me, verse number nine and ten, where they came to the Jordan uh, and are uh, and they crossed the Jordan. In verse number eleven, uh, Jericho fought with them and he gave them victory over all of these enemies: uh, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Gergeshites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Every single one of them, God. Just as he said he would do, he drove them out. Turn, turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1 uh, for just a minute. Joshua chapter 1. In, a Joshua, in, a, in God's promise to Joshua, uh, in Joshua chapter 1, when he calls Joshua to rise up and to, to lead the people in the absence of Moses... The way that he delivers this promise to Joshua is uh, very encouraging. Verse number two, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. God, of course, speaking to Joshua. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. He doesn't say in a land that you must conquer or a challenge that you must uh, overcome. He says, into the land that I am giving to them. He says, this is, this is my gift to you. This is my promise to you that I will give you this land. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. We could go back and look back at all of the wondrous things that God did through Moses. All of the miracles that were performed, the miraculous provision that God gave to them, uh, water from a rock and manna from heaven uh, to provide their every need. The sole of their shoe did not wear out. Their clothing did uh, did not fall apart those years in the wilderness. God sustained them with his miraculous hand. And he says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. This is the land that I am giving to you. Verse number five I will not leave you nor forsake you. And that being said, be strong and courageous and go and do what I have commanded you to do. Do not be afraid, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um. I don't know about you, but I would have been very nervous in a situation like that. Imagine leading a a massive multitude of Israelites who generally had a history of not really wanting to follow the person that was leading them, but instead complained and was griping and just every little thing that seems that they would just nitpick at. We should have just died in Egypt, they said. But God said, I want you to go and I want you to, to lead this people into the land of Canaan. This is the land that I'm giving you and it's interesting to note the um the actor in Joshua chapter 24 he doesn't come to Joshua 24 and says and say look look at this is all you guys have done like look at all the successes you've had look at all the victories that you've won your hand has been mighty and your your sword has been swift to defeat all of these uh these uh, foes no on the contrary Uh, We see God as the one who is acting. And the victory is the one that God has gained for the Israelites. I believe it's 19, 16 to 19 times in this passage where God says that I did this or I did that. I took your father from beyond Jordan. I gave him Isaac. I gave uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave Esau... Each of these things, it was not them that was doing it specifically, but it was God who was giving them the victory. Their sword and their, their, uh, their bow, their spear, was only a means by which God delivered them from all of their enemies. So here he is talking not about their, simply their victory, but he's talking about his faithfulness to them in giving them the victory. So he uh, he delivers them, and, and notice in the, the latter part of this passage uh, how he phrases it. He says, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. He says, all of these things built up, ready for you, cities that you did not build reaping of orchards and vineyards that you did not plant. You're reaping the fruit of someone else's labor. And this is my doing. I brought you into the land. And here Joshua says, because of this, he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. The way, the way that God is, is framing the victories that the Israelites had is, is uh, reminiscent of uh, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. And uh, here, Psalm 44, I believe, directly reflects on it. But um, Psalm 33, uh, I'll read just a portion of that quickly. Psalms 33, verse 16. Here it's talking about the the work of God and uh, not only his nature, uh, but also... Uh, what he accomplishes. And he says in verse 16, he says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. And as I as I read that portion, it was not by your sword or by your bow. Um, it was by the hand of God that they were delivered. Psalm uh, 44 actually Um, uses the same terminology as Joshua chapter 24 does. In verse number 1, this is a song of uh, pleading to the Lord for help. It says, O God, uh, we have heard with our ears, and our fathers have told us the deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations. No, Notice, it is God that drove them out. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor with their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my King, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put us to shame, have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Here the psalmist recognizes the faithfulness of God to the Israelites and concedes, yes, it was not our hand, it was not our sword, it was not our bow, but it was your hand, it was your might, it was your faithfulness to us uh, many times when we have victories in our lives we often look at the the means that god uses and attribute the victory to the means instead of attributing it to God um, when i was in um when i was in a bible college up in uh, Connecticut um, we uh, i was working uh i intended to go up there and work full-time at a, a church um, and use that money to pay off school but Long story short, the uh, the church was not in a great financial position, so uh, we didn't take any more any money from them, and uh, because of that, we got into a pretty bad financial spot. And um, as I was uh, attending church there, uh, there was uh, the pastor came up to me one day and he said, "He said, how, how are you guys doing?'" And I'm like, "We're doing okay. We're making we're making ends meet." You know, I was working at a delivering pizza for Pizza Hut. Amen. That was great. Um, Free pizza. Um, It's going good. You know, the bills are being paid and, you know, the rent's taken care of, the lights are on, you know, things things are okay. He's like, but how's your school doing? And I'm like, well, my school bill's another matter. And um, out of the blue, um, I had been uh, kind of leading music at that church and uh, helping out with uh, a lot of the ministries there and I was called by the vice president of our college. It was a very small college, by the way. The vice president was also the guy who handled all the finances and all that stuff. He was the one you got the letters from saying that your bill's overdue. And um, he got up in chapel one day, and he said, you know, he's like, I'm just very, very thankful for God's provision. I'm like, oh, that's great, you know. Um, He's like... "Um, when we started this morning, he said we had like three students that were completely delinquent or on their bills or delinquent on their bills. I can't remember how he phrased it, but he said, "You know," um, he says, "as of right now, we only have one." Thanks, Doctor Blazer. Yeah, that's me. And um, I just felt, man, I felt down. I was so discouraged. Um, so I went up to Doctor Blazer and I said, "Yeah, you know, Doctor Blazer, about that bill, you know, I'm just..." <laughs> I'm getting to it, you know? And he's like, oh, no, no, don't you worry. He's like, yours was one of the ones that's paid. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Well, come to find out, the pastor that I had been um, helping here and there, um, he out of his own pocket just fit the bill. And, um, man, I was just overwhelmed with God's provision. But it's very easy to, a, uh, to look at a person and say, oh, this is the one who helped me. This is the one who delivered me. But we must recognize that, that God uses instruments. God uses means. And here as the Israelites look back and they said, you know, I remember that battle. I remember all of the, the blood that was shed. I remember the, the hard effort that was given to fighting that battle. Yes, they can look at that, but God was using that to deliver them. But ultimately it was the Lord who gave the victory. And when we have victories in our life, we can only look at that victory and say, Thank you, Lord, for your deliverance and your hand of blessing in my life. Here the psalmist recalls that victory and he says, Yes, it was not our strength, it was your strength. Divine victory often stands in contrast to our finite perspective. Many times we don't even know how God is working behind the scenes uh, to give us victory and to to win the victory on our behalf. But it is God who is working. It is not simply our own strength. So having set the backdrop, Joshua gets to verse 14. He says, Now therefore, not just because God has been good to you, not because he's been nice, but because he has been faithful to the covenant that he made with your father Abraham to, to give him seed, to multiply his seed and to bring you into this land, now, therefore, having seen all of that accomplished, God has been faithful to his covenant to you. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. He gives them two specific commands, or three. And we'll get to that third one in a minute. First of all, he says, fear the Lord. Now, in, in past passages, in, in Joshua chapter 2, we can see the the, uh, the spies going into Jericho to spy out Jericho, and they stayed with a woman uh, named Rahab. We all know the story about Rahab. But when they went in and they they declared themselves and who they were and where they had come from, what was Rahab's reaction? Does anyone remember? She communicated to the spies how fearful they were. Oh, we've heard. We've heard of what your your God did to the Egyptians. We've heard of all of these things, and the Bible... Uh, over and over, refers to the people of the land, the Canaanites, as their hearts melting because of the dread and the fear that they had. This is not what Joshua is telling them. I want you to fear God. I want you to dread God. No, here the the fear of the Lord is kind of contrasted with the fear that the Canaanites had. Here, the Canaanites, because of their standing or their their lack of standing with God, they had something to fear. They had judgment to fear because of their sinfulness and wickedness. But on the contrary, the Israelites' fear of God was a, a, a reverential trust and a confidence based upon His goodness and His faithfulness to them. He says, I want you to fear the Lord. Be fully devoted to Him. This includes remembering his grace and goodness, and this is kind of why he refers to all of the goodness that God had shown them in the previous verses. Remembering his goodness and instilling and developing a love, a true love and passion for him. He says, I want you to fear the Lord. Notice this is required of all all the people of God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 12. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, we see this also given. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. This is what God requires of his people. To fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him. So he says, fear the Lord. This is not a command that they were unfamiliar with. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we see it repeated, and and over and over and over and over, we see the command given that the people of God are to fear the Lord. So he says, fear the Lord. And secondly, he says, serve him. Serve him in sincerity and truth. This word "serve" is mentioned uh, sixteen times in Joshua chapter twenty-four, and an ad- additional handful of times in the previous chapters twenty-two and twenty-three. The command that God gave Israel was not only to fear Him but to serve Him. Just as uh, we we often hear the uh, the the saying, our theology must always lead to doxology, right? Our theology, what we believe to be true about God, must always lead us to worship Him. Uh, we must not be uh, engaged in theology and the study of theology and reading the Word of God and uh, plumbing its depths just to say, I've got to hold on this doctrine now. And if that's our reaction when we study the Word of God and we study Theology and learn more about Him, that's a wrong reaction. Our theology must always lead us to praise the Lord and to worship Him for His goodness, for His faithfulness, because of His nature, because of His goodness. And here the fear of God, uh, the Scripture tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of God in and of, of itself is not an end. It is part of uh, the means that God uses to bring us to a right, not only thought about him, but actions toward him. Our fear of God must lead us to serve him and to worship him and to honor him and glorify him with our lives. He says, I not only fear the Lord, but serve him, serve him. The logical end of the fear of God is unwavering service and allegiance to him. So he commands them, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and uh, the third in uh, the commandment that he gives in Joshua 24, would help if I was in Joshua, I'm in Deuteronomy. Pardon me, I haven't gotten a tremendous amount of sleep in the past few days. Um, I told Heather, you know, there's t- times, I'm, I'm glad I'm not teaching a, a lesson about Elijah and Elisha, for instance, uh, because you guys would be just as lost as I would be at that point. Um, but Joshua 24... In verse 14, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And notice what he says thirdly, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, eliminate all other contenders. Don't serve all of these false idols. Serve the one, the living, true God. So he gives them a command. And then I have always loved verse number 15. I've always loved it. You, you sense a little, I don't know, sarcasm, a little uh, um, jabbing maybe on the ha- behalf of Joshua. But he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if you say in your mind that this is a really bad thing to serve God, this God that's been faithful to you, that's made covenant with Abraham, that has kept every promise that he gave you, if it's a bad idea for you to serve God, then today you really need to decide who you're going to serve. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Essentially what he's saying is you may not decide to serve God, but I don't care what you guys do. Me and my family are going to serve the Lord. We're going to be faithful to him because he has been faithful to us. He has kept his covenant, and so we will keep covenant with him. Notice the option to serving God. What is the option to fearing and to serving the one true God? You say, well, it's it's not fearing and not serving the one true God. Well, yes and no. Obviously, if we're not serving the one true God, if we're not fearing him, then we are not fearing him and we are not serving him, right? But the option to fearing God is not just a a period of neutrality. It is not a, a standing where we just say, well, you know, we're not serving God, but, you know, we're not really against Him either. If we are not serving and fearing the one true God, then we will replace God with idols. And the option, the choice that He gives them is not serve God or don't serve God, it's serve God or serve false gods. Choose this, choose this day whom you will serve. The gods your father served or the gods of the Amorites. You have your choice. It's either God, the one true and living, faithful God, or it is these false gods, these idols. Here, Jesus uh, calls his disciples to a life of forsaking self, forsaking family, Forsaking everything that you own. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 27 and also verse 33. Forsaking all else to follow him. Many times uh, in our service to the Lord, we sometimes when we really search out our hearts, we, we realize that we're not really serving him. But we're serving ourselves. We do what we do for the Lord, not for his glory, but for our own. So people look at us and say, "Man, what a good guy! Man, they they just they just did that so well. Look at them!" But we're not to serve ourselves. That's pride. That is uh, being conceited and uplifted. That's that's worshiping and serving ourselves. Many things uh, we, we place in in the place of God and serve and worship. We worship money. We worship pleasure but God calls us to a life where we forsake all to follow him not a life where we follow ourselves or not a life that is uh, that that God promises to just give us everything that we have ever wanted or ever desired no we, we serve God because of him so the alternative is serve God or serve false gods verse 15. And notice uh, the, the reaction of the Israelites in verse 16 and following. After he gives them this charge, it says, Choose who you will serve as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, up from the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So you say, man, this is a positive, right? This is good. We see, the Israelites... Uh, Committing to not only fear the Lord, to serve him because of his faithfulness to them. But notice in verse number 19, this has always been a puzzling verse to me. At first glance, it seems like Joshua's maybe a little bipolar, right? He goes one way, and then there's a, a mad swing to the other side, and uh, he's encouraging them to serve the Lord and be faithful to him. And they say, yeah, let's do it. We're going to. We're going to be faithful. We're not going to forsake him. And furthermore, we will serve him. And then in verse 19, Joshua says, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Uh, Many people would look at this verse and say, see, Joshua says that God will not forgive the sins of the Israelites. But other portions say that God does forgive sins, so there you go. There's an error in, your, in the Bible. There's an incongruence with what is stated. What, what Joshua is saying here is he's not making a categorical statement on God's forgiveness and his mercy. Surely even the Israelites have experienced in their past wanderings in the wilderness the faithfulness of God to them and his forgiveness of their sin. They're grumbling. They're complaining. We think of Mara, uh, where they, uh, Moses forced them to drink that bitter water. Um, and we see how God, through all of that, not only drew attention to their unbelief and their, uh, their unfaithfulness to Him, but He forgave them and was long suffering and patient toward them. Certainly, Joshua here is not telling the people, you know, God is not a long suffering God. He's not making a categorical statement. However, what he is saying is there's a, a, a great severity and sobriety to what you are committing to do. This is not just a happy-go-lucky uh, commitment. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we don't have anything better to do right now, so yeah, let's serve God. No, he is, and this is actually, and when you, you look at the whole picture and going through uh, verse number 28, this is a renewal of the covenant between God and his people. And he's saying, you don't get the, sob- the, the sobriety and the severity of what you're committing to do. And I think the key to understanding uh, the phrase where He says, you are not able to serve the Lord, he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins, is found in verse number 20. He says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, in other words, you've just told me that you are going to fear him, you will not forsake the Lord and you will serve him. However, if you fail to do this, if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Just as there are covenant blessings as the people of God and being faithful to him and serving him, we see many blessings contained uh, in Leviticus uh, and just repeated over and over. Uh, There are also covenant curses uh, for the people of God when they fail to keep their covenant to the Lord. Leviticus chapter uh, 26. Turn with me there for just a moment. We can look at this together. Leviticus chapter 26. In verse number 14, uh, the the passage here contained is is verse 14 through verse 39. We're not going to read all of it. But I I think we're definitely going to get a feel for for the the thrust of the passage uh, in the first few verses. The Bible says, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache, and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat. It, I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you and shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again. Notice, if they break their covenant with the Lord, then then evil, and he says he will bring, he will do you evil after he has done you good, evil would come upon them. This would come uh, by way of a lack of harvest. He says, your enemies shall eat it. Uh, a loss in battle. They would be defeated by their enemies, and their, uh, those who they hate will rule over them. And it's very interesting to see, just a matter of years later, we see this starting to happen in, jo- in Judges chapter 2. Uh, we see, after the death of Moses, there came a generation that did not know God, and they followed after Baal and served the Baals. And God uh, punished them for that. He brought judges upon them, uh, oppressors uh, to to judge them. And and eventually he delivered them from that. And then they went and served other gods again. So we see that that God was serious about his covenant with his people. And here in in Joshua chapter 24, I think this is kind of what Joshua is getting at. If you forsake the Lord, then he will do you evil. He will not forgive that. You can't just skate by and serve other gods and, 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 and God, the one true God, be cool with it. It's not going to happen. He will bring curses upon you. He will do you evil after he has done you good. And the people said, no, 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 you don't understand. We're, we're definitely going to, we're definitely going to serve him. Three times, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 24, they repeat this uh, phrase. We will serve the Lord. We will serve him. Verse twenty three, he says, "Then put away the foreign gods that are among you." After the second affirmation, then put away the the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And he says in verse twenty two, "You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him." He says, "Everyone standing here, we will all be witnesses against one another if we fail to serve the Lord." And they said again, "Our God, the Lord our God, we will serve, and His voice will we obey." So verse number 25, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all of the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. That's a very sobering thing. He says, not only are we witnesses against one another if we fail to follow God, but this stone will witness against all of us if we forsake the Lord. And they committed, yes, we will follow the Lord our God. We will obey him. We will serve him. As we have already stated, um, just a matter of years later, they broke their covenant with God and followed after false gods, and served false gods. And many times in our walk, our Christian walk, there are many times where we, maybe not expressly, not in word, maybe we're not absent from the house of God on Sundays to worship, but in our hearts there is that seed of rebellion against the Lord. There's that attitude of, God, I don't want to follow you. I don't want to follow your commandments. I don't want to serve you or fear you. There's a few, few areas of application I'd like to, to make. The first one is this. Just as there were covenant blessings and covenant pro- and uh, curses for the children of Israel, there are many times where God sees fit to chastise us for our rebellion against him, our sin. Book of Hebrews addresses this and says, "Basically, we are all partakers of chastisement, and if we are not chastened by the Lord, then we are not actually His children. We are illegitimate children. We are all partakers, and when we stray from the Lord in, in thought and in word and deed, many times God chastens us to bring us back to a right standing with Him, so that we might repent." Notice in uh, Leviticus chapter twenty-six. I didn't really address this specifically, but Uh, We read part of the verse that that did. He says, after he's uh, judged them in this way, after he's cursed them and done them evil, he says, then if you still do not repent and turn back to me, I will curse you even more, sevenfold. And then if you do not repent, I will curse you even more. Uh, I think all of us can, maybe not in this church specifically, but in churches past, we can think of somebody in our mind who was once present and serving. They were active. They were always there. They were uh, they were faithful, uh, but are no longer faithful. And that is a very sobering thing to think. Um, in the moment, we always think, "Wow, it's not me." And almost we tend to, we tend to get this sense of pride, as we're as if we're above sinning, or forsaking the Lord. And let us, I just want to remind you, I'm not, uh, not to be depressing here, but we must guard our heart and guard our life so that we do not stray from the Lord, that we remain faithful to Him. Immerse yourself in His Word and in prayer and in uh, utilizing the means of grace that God has given us. Be faithful in your service to God or he will chastise his children. The other thing that is very obvious on its face is that victory is of the Lord. No matter what problem you're facing, mark it down, you cannot gain victory in and of your own strength. It is God who delivers, it is God who saves. It is not you. And when God does deliver you, and God does help you, let us give God all of the glory that is due his name. Let's not look at the instruments that God uses and bless them. Let us bless our Lord and our God, for it is him who delivers. And then lastly, of course, just as it was Israel's responsibility to fear the Lord and to serve him, so it is ours. To fear the Lord, to serve him, to walk in his ways, to obey all of his commandments, to love him. Not out of a heart that is fearful and dread of our God, but out of a reverential trust and awe because of his nature, because of his person, because of his goodness to us. So I just want to leave you with that. Let's be faithful in serving the Lord. Let's love one another and uh, fear God and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness, for he has been so faithful to us. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you uh, today for your, your many innumerable undeserved blessings on our lives. Uh, Father, we are humbled at your goodness. Lord, we did not deserve to be uh, redeemed. or we did not deserve to be, uh, as the psalmist puts it, picked up out of that miry clay. But Father, you chose in uh, eternity past to save us for your honor, so that your name might be magnified and glorified among all of the nations. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for changing us. You've told us that uh, uh, in Christ we are new creatures. All things are become new. The old has passed away. And Father, we thank you for the change that you have wrought in our lives. And Lord, because of your faithfulness to us, Lord, I pray that we would, as your people, Lord, be faithful to you and to serve you, to love you, to keep all of your commandments. Lord, we thank you for the deliverance that you've given us. We pray that you would help us, Lord, by your strength to be faithful to you and to not follow after false gods and idols. Lord, bless this uh, next hour of worship. May you be the, the center of our worship, and may we worship none other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.